Hey, good morning. Welcome to Kesed. If you are brand new, thanks for being here. My name's Danny. I'm going to share with you today. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, just some clarity. Uh, Kesed is a church for uh, people who are spiritually curious, people who don't know if there is a God, people who love God and can't believe you don't know there's a God, for uh, people who love church and for people who cannot believe they are even here today. If it wasn't for the pretty girl they're sitting next to, they would never, ever show up again. Yep, yep. I saw you walk in, sir. I saw you walk in. <laughs> you were like this, and, and I was like, eh, you know, you got to do what you got to do. So um, I, I'm excited. We're in the second week of a series right now called Forts, and this is a church-wide series. So we pulled uh, a lot of the theme from uh, kind of what we're doing at youth group and what we're doing in children's ministry. And uh, it's a whole series on friendship. And it's been a really interesting series because uh, I wanted it to be pretty light, but I have discovered in just the, 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 just the short week since I launched it that, uh, that we got some stuff to deal with when it comes to, to friends. Uh, a few of you walked up out of last service uh, and you were, um, you, were, you were passionate about people in your life that used to be friends or people that, that, that you thought were going to be better friends or, or even some mistakes you made as, as friend. And I just want to say good for you. Good for you for sitting in the tension. Good for you for being willing to evaluate what you, uh, you know, think you know and being willing to, to be curious about that. So thank you so much. Um, I want to say also, last week we launched a church-wide Blanket Fort Challenge. Uh, we basically challenged people to go back to when friendship was easier, when they were kids and you built forts. Usually, you know, forts, uh, whether it was uh, in the woods or in a barn or in your front room with blankets, you built forts with people that you considered friends. So we challenged you to, uh, to build uh, forts again and to send in those pictures, whether you're watching online or you're here local in our community. And we had a bunch of people do that, and we're going to start showing those next week. So uh, I do want to tell you, though, that uh, some of you took it way more serious than, than I anticipated. Uh, one man surprised his, his wife with some sort of version of a log cabin that he built for her over the weekend. It's like a small lean-to log thing. And I was like, there's not a blanket in this picture. But uh, he was, she was touched. So I was just thinking about what would happen if I took my wife in the woods and said, I built you this log cabin. She would trip. So... Uh, keep sending pictures of whatever kind of forts you are building. Uh, now, I've said that we are doing this churchwide because the children's ministry took it to a whole different level. Not all of us have children, and so get to check in and see what they built in the foyer and inside all the rooms. So I asked if we could do a quick video tour of what they're doing in children's right now. And so please enjoy Pastor Keith as uh, he shows you around. Hey, Kesed family, my name is Keith. I am the children's pastor here at Kesed, and we couldn't be more excited to be sharing a series together called Forts. So I thought I would take a minute and give you a quick tour of all the cool forts that we have, starting with this preschool one. All right, let's head downstairs. I'm gonna show you the kindergarten room real quick. Hey guys, this is the kindergarten fort. Um, I obviously don't fit in it very well, but the kids sure do. It's awesome. All right. 
Thanks for taking that awesome tour with me. I can't wait to see all the fun we're gonna have and what God does in this series. And we will see you all soon. But if you see Pastor Keith uh, around the building or you, you uh, are picking up your kids, make sure and appreciate him. They put a lot of time into that. And uh, they're going to be painting those throughout the coming weeks of the series, making them more and more their own. Uh, they're going to be doing handprints and a bunch of other stuff on the forts. But uh, yeah, it's a really neat thing. Uh, I just want to ask a really vulnerable question. How many people would not be in service right now if it wasn't for the fact that your kids came last week and were so excited they woke up and basically almost through a fit, they weren't going to come back to church. Uh, yeah, you can raise your hand. It's okay. Yeah, I see you. I see you. Uh, Thursday night, we had an entire family that said, we're only here because they wouldn't let us not be here. And I, I didn't know how to take that, but then I thought, you know what, whatever it takes. So shame-based leadership all around here at Kesset. Um, okay, so here's what we're going to do in our second week, because I'm all about making sure that as we walk into sensitive material like this, that we are all at least on the same page about uh, what it is we're talking about. Uh, friends and friendship, uh, we've all experienced. Every person in this room has lost friends or made friends or been someone that hurt a friend or been hurt by a friend. But it's actually kind of a hard thing to define when you just go and, and say, well, what is a friend and, and what is friendship? So I wanted to give you a couple different definitions, and then I want to talk to you about how the Bible defines it, and then I want to talk to you about ultimately how Jesus defines it. And that way, as we move through the series, when I say friends or friendship, we all are on the same page around what I'm talking about. Uh, Webster defines friend this way, a person whom one knows and with whom one has a bond of mutual affection. So according to Webster, you have to have a bond of mutual affection in order to be a friend, which is very, very different than acquaintance or buddy at the bar. I don't know many of you would say that that, that, that guy at the bar that you love to connect with every night after work, that you have a bond of mutual affection, unless it's like you, you both agree that, you know, Pilsner's the way to go. I mean, I don't know what it is, or maybe you have your favorite sports team, but either way, the, the, the definition, at least from a psychological standpoint, is that there has to be something deeper than just affinity. Webster goes on to define a friendship is the relationship that makes you feel included in something bigger than yourself. So it's, it's no longer about just you and that person. It's about something more than you. It's about, no, we have this friendship. We're doing life together. We're experiencing community together. We're raising our children together. We're, we're connecting at more than just a mutual affection. It's about more than just me. It's also about this other person that I'm walking through this experience with. Um, Alyssa, who helps me out throughout the week, uh, helped me find these definitions. And she also found a website called getthefriendsyouwant.com. <laughs> I asked her if it was appropriate. She goes, I don't know, but there's a great definition here. So if you go there and it's not something that should be, that's, that's not my fault. So uh, this is the definition she found, which I thought was great. Friendship is a type of relationship that is voluntary, flexible, dynamic, and unconstrained. It fulfills important personal needs like inclusion, affection, and affirmation of your identity. So there's, there's some good baseline kind of ballpark definitions of friends and friendship as we move forward. Take some of that, leave some of that. Uh, I don't, it doesn't really matter to me because I want to talk about what the Bible says. Now, the Bible describes friendship uh, specifically as something known as true friend. 
That's what it's talking about whenever you come across the verse as a true friend. A true friend is doing this. And here's the things that the Bible talks about are true friendship. I'm just going to read them kind of in a summarization, in a summary sort of way. And then the references will be there if you want to go and actually look up and spend time and, and, and parse out all the different parts of the verse. Uh, the references are there on the app and also uh, on the website, all the notes from the message. Uh, first off, a true friend shows love no matter what. Proverbs 17, 17. A true friend shows love no matter what. A true friend gives heartfelt advice, bringing joy to the heart. Proverbs 27, 9. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says, A true friend rebukes when necessary, but the correction is done in love. I'm really good at the first part of this verse. I just want to point that out. Uh, How many people are really good rebukers? Yep, yep. If we want to start a... Yeah, yeah, look, look like a bunch of people raise their hand like, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm rebuking this message right now, actually. I don't, <laughs> but it has to be done in love according to be done as something a true friend would do. A true friend influences, enlivens, and sharpens. Influences, enlivens, and sharpens. A true friend avoids gossip. Mmm, mmm right in the throat. (laughs) Other churches say right in the heart, not Kesed. We're going for your throat every time. A true friend forgives and does not hold grudges. A true friend is loyal. And lastly, a true friend helps in time of need. If I was to take a small uh, Danny census of my friendship qualities, I uh, I would be Sad to admit that uh, I'm good at some of these, some of the time, but uh, a lot of these I'm just, I'm just really not that good at. Um, I've got some friendship wounds. I've got some church hurt. I've got some stuff in my story that, uh, that has caused me to be someone that, that uh, I'm not that easy to be friends with. Uh, I know that because um, watching my wife and how she makes friends and how she builds friendships and how she invests in people and so on, uh, she's just much better at it than me. And uh, according to my therapist, I really need to work on this because I'm doing a series on friendship and I'm supposed to be authentic about it. So I'm just telling you, I'm learning uh, with some of you as we go because I think, I think there's something really honest about being authentic around the idea that this stuff that the Bible teaches is uh, really hard. It's just really, it's, it's not easy to... to to be somebody that uh, forgives and doesn't hold grudges. That's hard for me. You hurt me, eh, you hurt people I love, I don't forget that stuff. I wanna say that I'm different because I'm up here on stage and, and part, of this, part of the way our system's set up in church right now is I'm supposed to be like an example of things that, that maybe you could be and I'm just here to tell you I'm only an example of a person that you could be who's really good at holding grudges. <laughs> And I, and I work on it, and I, and I admit it, and I, and I, and I articulate it. I, I'm not unaware of it. I'm not pretending. But uh, some of this stuff is, uh, is hard. The rebuking one I, I made a comment about earlier, I'm really, really good at rebuking, especially when necessary. The love part, generally people will say, you know, that didn't feel very loving. And I'm like, well, get better, and I'll love better. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, listen, we're all friends here, Right? Or are we? We're about to find out. (laughs) Mm. Mm. 
This, this to a point is true of all of us, right? That, that all of us struggle with some level of these experiences because none of us is a perfect friend. And yet the Bible says this is what true friends and friendships are built upon. Let me say something else about uh, friendship that I want to bring that as a qualifier and I want to make sure that you understand so that, so that it, there's clarity today for when we have a Sunday in the future in this series that, uh, that I think will, will be really important. Some of you, as we talk about friendship uh, and we talk about all the things a good friend, a true friend are, some of you have friends in your life that you feel like even though they have none of those qualities, even though they never ever treat you with any of those qualities, you feel like that you must continue to be friends with them despite how they keep affecting your world because that's what Jesus would do. I'm just here to tell you, uh, fear not, because we're planning a teaching to explain why that is not true. That's bad Bible. And we're going to talk openly about how to break up with those people. We're going to do a breakup Sunday with your friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I told you it's getting serious in here. Yeah, you thought I was cute and funny before, and now, now you're just offended. Now you're just offended, but I'm still funny. So <laughs> here's what I... <laughs> Here, here's what I mean. Here's what I mean, okay? You and I need to understand that we all have relational patterns in our lives, that we have often the people in our stories that we consider friends for a reason. And sometimes that reason is because of some sort of trauma we experienced or some sort of trauma bond we have with somebody that we just can't seem to separate ourselves from despite how toxic the relationship is. And some of it, this is... This is Listen, just some of it is because the dysfunction of church says you're never allowed not to be friends with somebody. And that's not true. And I'm going to show you in this book why. At the end of the day, I want Kesed to be a beacon of friendship. And I also want the word to be put out that Kesed is a place that openly teaches their people how to lovingly dump their abusive friends. So we're going to do Breakup Sunday. You'll know. I'll announce it a few weeks out. And here's the thing. By that time, hopefully you will, have, you will have some prep on what's healthy friendship, what's not healthy friendship. Hopefully you'll own the stuff in your story that's actually your relational pattern. You're the one that actually needs to be kind of looked at in the mirror. Like, why do I keep treating people like this? But here's the most dysfunctional part. Some of you, you're not going to actually break up with your friends. You're just going to invite them to church so I can break up with them for you. And that's not cool. That's not right, because I don't even know who they are. Now, we could get clever with it and, like, give you red ribbon to tie around. No, everybody at New Hood or our church wears this red ribbon in their hair. Promise, it's fine. And then I'll at least know who they are so I could break up kindly for you. Or you could gain the skills in your own life, and I could too, to be able to sit down and have hard conversations with people that we shouldn't be in friendship with unless something changes. Yeah? Good. I'm so glad we're not even on the same page. But that you're all trapped in this room with me anyhow. Let me give you an example of Jesus doing this very thing. Then your issue can be with him, which is always much, much better than when it's with me. As I said, no one is a true friend. As a matter of fact, from that perspective, the verses that I just read or the references I just read are kind of absurd. No one can do all that stuff. No one can be completely loyal, always enlivening, always avoiding gossip, forgiving, never holding grudges, always uh, a friend in time of need. No one can do that all the time except Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate example 
of what it means to be a friend. And yet, we talked about this last week, no one ever refers to him as that friend. I've never in all my pastoral years, all 22 of them, had someone tell me when I'm like, how's your relationship with God? And they're like, you know what? It's really a deep friendship. God's just so friendly. Never. He's either sovereign and massive and huge and big and I am worshiping him, or he's condemning and judgmental and overpowering, or I don't believe in that stuff, or I just want to know what he wants me to do next so I can be exactly the servant he needs me to be. No one's ever like, you know, we're just having some community time together. I mean, we got some stuff we're disagreeing on. You know, he's making me stronger and, and, and encouraging me. And, and, I, and he's big on that, letting me ask questions and be frustrated with some of the stuff I read in this book, which is kind of confusing sometimes. No, I'm making this stuff up because I've never had this conversation with anybody, ever. And yet, what you're going to see, this is exactly the kind of relationship he wants to have. In John 15, Jesus is eating the last meal he will ever have before the cross. And he's doing this with the people he considers his closest friends, his disciples. He has spent three years with them. They've experienced miracles, his power, his confession of who he is. They have watched him set up and structure a church legacy that will exist beyond him all the way till today. And then all of a sudden, over bread and wine, he has this really uncomfortable and awkward conversation with people who thought they were already in. I mean, they're the disciples. If he had, you know, 12 friends, these would be them. And he says to them, John 15, verse 12, he says, guys, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then he looks at them and he says the words, you are my friends. And they go, ah, oh, yeah. And then he adds, if you do what I command you. Whoa, is this an ultimatum? Did Jesus just offer an ultimatum? We spent three years with you. We have suffered. We have the, the knowledge of the, of the Messiah. We are the future of the church. And he's like, no, here's the thing. You're my friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. Then he goes on. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. Jesus offers a friendship ultimatum. There's that word, if. You are my friends, if you do what I have commanded you. What did he command them? That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is Jesus' definition of what it means to be a true friend before he actually goes to the cross and becomes one, even more than he already is. Now, if you were to pause this story right here and think, okay, well, why isn't this something that we talk about, this friendship of God, this, this way that God interacts with us, that we're supposed to be in relationship with him, then you may be surprised to figure out that some of it is because it doesn't fit inside the economy of friendship most of us understand friendship to fit into. It doesn't fit fully into that mutual affection piece. It doesn't fit fully into that, the idea that we have something in common or that, that, that we are of the same type. It's actually very different. 
You may also be surprised to learn that throughout all three years that Jesus led these men, he never uses the word lead or leader to describe what it was he wanted him to do. He never promotes it as something he himself is doing. Instead, he constantly uses the word to serve and follow. Serve and follow, serve and follow. So it's already inside the same theme that they're starting to pick up, that the great idea of what it means to be a true friend is to lay down your life for your brother, to serve that brother, to be in relationship with him in such a way that his needs are higher than your needs, that his purpose, that who he is or she is becomes part of something more than just you. Jesus in this space, all of a sudden, changes the whole thing and he says you're going to be friends with me if you do the things I've been teaching you not to become leaders but to become followers and people who serve as a matter of fact Jesus only used the word leader one single time in recorded scripture and it was at this same dinner when he says rather let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves Once again, it's a call to serve others. Remember, Jesus is inviting them into true friendship with him to lay down their lives. And he's saying, I'll put it on the screen, that the only way true friendship happens is through a willingness to serve others as he serves us. This isn't just that servant-heartedness that's tied to mowing your neighbor's lawn or doing the dishes. I think that's a good servant-heartedness, but this is something much heavier. In spite of those being powerful and wonderful things, Jesus is bringing a different action step to what it means to be a friend of God and then a friend to others. Matthew 20, 28 describes this when it says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Look what serving is equated to to Jesus, a ransom. In other words, a cost to be paid. Jesus's friendship ultimatum is proclaiming this. That in order to be a true friend of him, we must be true friends to others. And that as he willingly laid down his life for us, so we should willingly lay down our lives for those who are called, we are called to love. But this is way hard. To do this kind of friendship is, is difficult and kind of confusing. You might say, whoa, whoa, you were just talking about teaching us how to break up with our abusive friends. Now you're saying we need to lay down our lives for them? Which is it? And I would lean forward with great inflection say, yes. (laughs) The answer is yes. Mm, Smell the tension in the room. Do you enjoy that? This is good Bible right here. The answer is yes. Break up with your dysfunctional, life-sucking friends. For this will then give you even more life to lay down for the friends you were called to serve within. Within true friendship. It's this really awkward space of like, well, well, wait, I'm supposed to break up with people that pull the life out of me in a toxic way so I can lay the life down in a servant-hearted way? What, what, aren't I being pulled from either direction? Yep. But there's a difference in willingly laying your life down for a person that you love, being loyal, showing up and helping, serving, being sacrificial, than there is experiencing toxic a broken, heated kind of pulling that actually says you are someone else's sustenance. There's a difference. 
And the curious question should be, why do you want to do this more than you want to do this? Why, okay, I'm going to stand up because that makes it more serious. Why, why are we more willing to pour our lives or allow our lives to be drugged from us in the name of friendship? Like, oh, two o'clock in the morning. Oh, oh, let me show up again. Oh, more drama, more drama, more drama. I feel so like broken whenever I'm with this person, but in some sense, I kind of like it because I'm sort of addicted versus showing up over here in this person's life in a way that says, hey, I'm going to be somebody you can rely on and I'm going to show up and I'm going to love you and I'm going to pour forth my, my person for you because you're valuable and you're important. This one is much easier, which is why our patterns continue to revolve inside those sort of relationships. I have had over the years many, many dysfunctional relationships like that. And I am accountable for myself and the fact that I have allowed those things to continue until one day with great help from people who love me, people who poured their lives into me, people who set down their lives or were willing to endure my consternation as they go, hey, Danny, this pattern seems really unhealthy. This sort of way of existing seems really unhealthy. And I'm like, you don't know me. Don't judge me. You don't live in my world. You don't understand my stress. I got to help this person. We've been friends for 15 years. And they're like, why? And I'm like, because I'm used to it. Because I know what to expect. Because I can prepare. You want me to engage in relationships that are mutually vulnerable, mutually authentic, where people share in a way that's real? What's that about? Like, I don't even know what that feels like. And then slowly, after time, I got more and more used to those kinds of friendships. And this other one became really clear that it was super one-sided, not very honoring of who God called me to be and the work they needed to do. And I had some work to do as well around why I allowed it. This was very specific for this audience and for the people watching online, by the way. None of that is in these notes. So thank you so much for wrecking the room <laughs> and uh, the message. <laughs> yeah. The laying down of your life and mine in true friendship can best be understood if we're being really authentic as a willingness to be vulnerable. That's why I think it's so much more harder to sit in, in, a, in a space where you can be authentic about investing in a healthy way. It feels more vulnerable than sitting in the toxicity, sitting in the, in the ugly patterns. It feels, it feels scarier for some reason. And yet that's exactly what Jesus is asking us to do. Isaiah 53 describes this Jesus before he was here physical on earth. Listen to, in the context of vulnerability, the description of this Jesus who would soon lay down his life as an act of servanthood and true friendship. It says that he was oppressed, but he was all-powerful. That seems really vulnerable for him to allow that. And he was afflicted, and yet he was all-healing. He opened not his mouth, and yet he is the word of God. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. This lion described in scripture. So he opened not 
his mouth. You see, Jesus is inviting the disciples to be like him. Yes, they were powerful. Yes, they were the future of the church. Yes, they knew things no one else on the planet knew. And he's like, but none of that's what's going to transform the world. Here's what's going to transform the world. If you lay down your life for your brother and your sister, if you do it in a way that causes them to see you as true friends, and the only way that they'll see you as true friends is if you're willing to be unbelievably vulnerable. If you are willing to sit in that hard space, if you are willing to, this, the, the verse that jumps out at me, the section of that verse is sometimes not open your mouth. My wife loves this part of that passage. Like Christ, vulnerability is the cost we all must pay in order to serve in true friendship with one another. We must decide that it's important for us to be vulnerable, to lay down our lives, and to be true friends. And the, the reality is, I think the reason many of us don't have any true friends in our story is because we are not willing to be vulnerable. And I'll prove it to you. Last week, we did a church-wide survey. This was the first survey we were ever able to do where we could figure out how to do it in a, in a way that it was completely anonymous. In this survey, we had over 500 adults participate, which I don't know if you understand, but for us as a staff team was mind-blowing because you guys never participate in anything at that level ever. We didn't even know what to do with all the cards, both the manual ones and the ones that people did on their phones. And here's what's so profound about it. The reason we think that you participated at such a level is because we were able to make it anonymous, and so there wasn't any cost or vulnerability, which meant you could put whatever answers you thought you could get away with. Would you like to hear your results? Now, these aren't, the, <laughs> let me clarify. These are, the, we're all human, right? So much of church is just a study in being human. Nobody here generally thinks you're going to see this, that they probably need this series. And yet, privately, you've all told me, like, man, I really need this series. I'm so alone. But that's not what the survey said at all. Let me read you the results. First question, how lonely are you? Only 26 people out of 500 plus said they are desperate for a connection. 26 were honest enough to go, yep, I need some help and I need some connection. 70 people said they're better than they hoped. 82% of people said, I'm good. 82%, 418 people said, no, I'm not that lonely. I don't have that many issues. And yet again, that is not what you're telling me as you leave the lobby. I don't even know who those 418 people are. At first, I was like, that can't be a real number. 80% of the church is like, no, nah, I'm good. I am blown away. How about the next one? Do you spend more time with your friends on your phone or in person? Only 36%, 36 people, 7% said they only text and call. 36 people are the only ones who are going to be honest that the majority of your friendships are on text and call. I'm friends with like 80 of you and all I've ever done is text and call you. Bunch of liars. 43 people said they're friends with people in person all the time. 
and 435 people. 85, it's the same 85%. You're going to keep seeing it. It's that same 82, 85%. Fall somewhere in the middle between I text and call, but the majority of the time I spend with my friends in person. Nah. Where do you go to meet friends? I almost said uh, when I read this in the survey that uh, Tinder didn't count, but they said it would be inappropriate, so I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I asked, they said that would be totally inappropriate. I said, okay, so I didn't do it. Where do you go to meet friends? 46 people, 9% said don't know where to start. 76 people, 15% said have several communities they're a part of. 392 people fall somewhere in the middle of like, yeah, I think I'm good. Basically, this survey screen stopped the series now. We don't need this. How about this one? How are you at meeting new people? 56 people said have huge anxiety. So a few more people came forth with that one. 88 people said, love it. We know exactly who you are, by the way. This was the only one I was like, yep, that's true. This one's true. 370 people said, nah, I'm good. Lastly, would you make a good friend? This is the worst one of all. 12 people said they need work. Twelve people said, I could be a better friend than I am. I'm up here like, I'm terrible at this. I wish I could do better. I want to learn. It's basically me and 11 other people are the only ones that this entire series is for. Just 11 of us and me that need work. 127 people said they're solid friend material. What? You don't, you're just good to go. Like you are the Captain America of friends. I can't even believe this. 375 people said, nah, I'm good. I thought it was profound. And I thought it was profound. Again, I think it's very good. I think it's very true. I thought that it was profound because I thought it was an amazing illustration of what happens when you pull all the vulnerability out of something. So this is what we came up with, that we, as a, as a church core team, have learned about us as a church and what and we're going to put some stuff in place to help curb some of this. Here's the first thing. This is what we've learned. Little vulnerability equates to more participation in community. The less you have to and I have to put into something, the more I'm willing to be a part. The less you know about me, the less you know about what I struggle with, the less, less, less that I have to, the more, basically, the more anonymous I can be, the more I'm willing to be a part. This makes sense, by the way. This is very similar to sporting events, concerts, political rallies, and so on. When we go to those things, nobody thinks this is an arena full of my friends. No, you're fans. And it's beautiful, and it's fun, and it's exciting, and I love it. But I think we've confused fandom for friendship. Now, further, this is what it's going to illustrate. That communities with little vulnerability and high participation generally foster those fan over friendship style relationships, which means, and this, was the, this is a really important thing that we're not going to forget, which means communities with higher vulnerability, even if the participation is lower, should generally foster truer friendships. So the divorce care stuff that you heard uh, promoted today. 
That community fosters deep and rich friendships because it is high vulnerability. Tonight, uh, later in the evening, we're going to have a men's thing, and it's nothing like this, okay? It's 120 guys in a room, and it is kind of vulnerable, but it fosters stronger friendships because there is less vulnerability. It's harder to just show up and disappear or sit in one of the back rows. I call those the parachute rows. That's when you can sit, and if things get awkward, you're like, I'm out, and you just leave through the door, get sucked out in the parking lot, and go off into your own world. And sometimes the church is just too full, so don't judge those people in the back. But some of you, you walk in and you look for your seat closest to the door, and you get so frustrated when you have to sit like three rows in. Because you just don't want to be vulnerable. For example, I can prove all this, by the way, because I saw some of it coming. I wasn't sure, but I saw some of it coming. I've been doing this for a while. So, for example, we took this same survey among the children in our church, ages 3 to 11. Now, before I read their results, I'm just going to remind you, this is by far the most vulnerable group in our community. Nobody walks around thinking three-year-olds are powerful. I mean, they got some stuff they can do, but for the most part, we dictate most of the stuff within their life. This is a vulnerable group. They are the powerless people, and they accept it generally. They know. Mom says, dad says, or we, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't even drive anywhere, right? They just kind of go wherever we take them. Here are some of their results. How lonely are you? From desperate to connection, for connection, to better than I hoped. Zero percent of preschoolers said they're lonely. Five percent of elementary students said they're lonely. Seventy-seven percent of preschoolers marked better, uh, are marked better than I hoped. Seventy-two percent of elementary students. I want you to watch, by the way, the difference as, as we go through this in the preschoolers and the elementary students. As the children age, they get closer and closer to us. Do you spend more time with your friends on your phone or in person? Guess what? Zero percent of those preschoolers. It's mind-blowing. But I like that one percent of the elementary kids was like, yeah, I'm primarily a phone text person. I like this. We see each other in person, preschoolers, 100 percent of the time. 87 percent of elementary students. Where do you go to meet friends? Don't know where to start, 0% of preschoolers. Also 0% of elementary students. I'm part of several communities, a hundred and hundred. I'm part of several communities, what are you talking about? I got a social life, bro. This is awesome, this is important and awesome and a little sad. How are you at meeting new friends? 0% of preschoolers have huge anxiety, but 12% of elementary students said, They struggle with that. I love it. 70% of preschoolers, only half the elementary students said they love meeting new people. But then, would you make a good friend comes around. 0% of preschoolers said they need to work on being better friends. 100% of preschoolers said they're solid friend material. 100%. So apparently we need to hook up that hundred people with uh, the other 127 of you liars. <laughs> so you can hang out with them. Because even 80% of the elementary students, part of them are even like, no, nah, I probably got some stuff I could work on. It's a beautiful, beautiful example 
of how important it is to understand that vulnerability is really what we're talking about when we're talking about the difficulty serving another person, which is why the toxic relationships and the patterns seem to exist because you don't have to be vulnerable with a toxic person. As a matter of fact, you can stay on guard the entire time and still exist in that relationship because all they want to do is fist fight. But when you got to go sit with someone who all they want to do is hold hands emotionally, like look longer into your eyes than, than you want to allow or, or like embrace, which I put some guidelines around that, by the way. Uh, if you hug me longer than three seconds, that's considered a cuddle. So you just need to know three seconds, one, two, three, just go hold a random person in the room, just hold them longer than three seconds. You'll see, they'll be like, uh, you just moved into cuddle territory. So just be aware of that and know that as you add some of these things to your life. <laughs> it's true. A bunch of people are just going to be out in the lobby like, no, no, no. Like just, oh, shoot. This is what Brene Brown, the relational psychologist, says that the statistics say about uh, how vulnerability applies to friendship. Vulnerability is the first thing we look for in a, in a, is the first thing we look for in other people and the last thing we want to show them about ourselves. No wonder those kinds of friendships, those healthy kinds of vulnerable friendships that move into serving one another that move into true friendship and love like Jesus are so difficult to find and foster. And apparently our children, especially the youngest of our children, are the ones who are the experts at it. Maybe that's why Jesus asked us to be like them. What if Christ is saying this? Friends are the people you are vulnerable with, so be vulnerable. Meaning that there cannot be true friendship without cost, pain, vulnerability. You cannot serve anyone like Jesus without cost, pain, vulnerability. And you can't have the relationship with God he wants to have with you without that same attitude and approach. This also means that every time you and I refuse to pay the cost of true friendship with one another... We are operating as just another concert-going, rally-participating, congregation-sitting fan in the stands. And that's not what church is supposed to be. I'd like to close with my least favorite verse in the Bible, or at least one of them. I thought that that would be a good, strong way to go out. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, God's talking to his people and to us. He says he has this desire, and he says, I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I have never enjoyed this verse because the, the heart of stone, that, or the parts of my heart that are stone, I should say, are the parts that I've kept most protected. They're the parts that have been the most wounded. Whenever I read this verse, I was like, why would I want to be, like, like affectable by people? Why would I want people to be able to, like, there's just too much vulnerability in that. Only recently I have come to see this verse as a promise from God to actually bless me and you with vulnerability, to give me a hurtable heart, one that can be broken for those I love and that I'm called to serve. This actually is a friendship verse in that sense. It's an offer from God to me and you to mold my heart into the heart of Christ, the greatest servant, 
the most true friend and the one who wants to be in relationship with you more than anything else. And so this week, instead of building a blanket for it, which I still think you should do, I wonder if what God is asking us to do is is in a conversation or a journal entry or some pondering or a long walk, I wonder if what we're supposed to do as a community is build a fort of vulnerability. I wonder if we are supposed to be the beacon I think God's called us to be, but, but not be a beacon so we can come in and be experts, expert friends for people who aren't here yet, but actually be a beacon in the, that the light of Jesus shining in my life exposes the stone in my heart that Christ died to remove and replace with something that is breakable and touchable and woundable. That in that cycle of being transformed, as scripture says, I become a new creation. And it's painful and it's scary and it's vulnerable. But what if I could in that space become a friend of God, understand relationally how to engage with the people God has put in my life, remove toxins from my story or restore and reinvent and renegotiate some of those friendships. What if we could figure out together how to be a place that truly was all about those biblical things, serving one another, loving one another, holding one another? You know what that would make us in our fort here of vulnerability? It would make us a safe place for people to come and let their hearts be broken. To confess the legacies that have been poured into their stories, the trauma, the abuse, the the dysfunction, the pain. But nobody's going to come into this place if it's a house of judgment or a house of experts. That's why I'm here to tell you I'm not an expert in this topic. But I'm trying to be vulnerable with you because I believe God has caused us to have this influx of people that are willing to experience this level of brokenheartedness so that they can experience a level of healing maybe that we've never seen in our city so that other people can come, not because we're experts at being friends, because we're experts at having our broken hearts healed by Jesus. That's what this is supposed to be, a house and a fort of vulnerability so that the vulnerable can come and feel like they belong. But you gotta go first. So you have some talking to do with God this week. If you don't believe in God, just talk to the cosmos. The God that I know is real will show up. If you're in a journey with some people that you trust, talk with them. If you have a spouse that you can share with, talk with her. If, if you're a single person and you need someone to, to, to talk with, reach out to, a, to, to a, a person, at least one person that you feel like can hold some of this space and know that I believe God will meet you in there and bless you because of it. We've got six more weeks of this series. I'm gonna be here for almost all of it. And uh, I'd like to tell you it's gonna get easier before it gets better, but that would be, uh, that wouldn't be true. But I think it is gonna get really, really beautiful. So I hope you don't miss it. Amen? Amen. Would you stand? We'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, services like this one, just raw experiences, they are uh, really exposing for me and I think sometimes for people who know they have to get in the car on the way home and 
have some awkward silence or some vulnerable conversations. They just have to choose. I pray, Lord, that it would, uh, that it would be what, what you've called it to be. That we would not be willing to stay as we are, but that we would know we were, we were put here for something more. May there be a foundation laid of friendship in this community of culture that you spoke about 2,000 years ago in that room with those people as you told them, be true friends. Lay down your lives, serve, be vulnerable as I was vulnerable. And trust, trust that God, you would show up to make it something more than we could ever conceive. Thank you for the family you're building here at Kesed. We are, uh, we don't deserve it, God, but we're thankful to be a part. We lift it up to you now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all for coming. Thank you for being on the journey. Uh, Guys, don't forget tonight right here, uh, we've got the men's thing at 530, so we'd love to see you. Come check it out. Everybody else, we'll see you next week.